Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Bobby Johnson, the editor of Anxi Magazine. He was in London last week for the Stack Awards, where Anxi picked up two of our trophies, uh, one for Art Director of the Year and one for Best Use of Illustration. So I dragged him over to the Stack office the next day to record this conversation. Anxi is the California-based magazine that is dedicated to breaking down the stigmas around mental health, and our discussion is pretty wide-ranging. Um, it runs from the evolution of attitudes towards mental health through to some proper geeky stuff about using Kickstarter as a way of selling magazines. Bobby also has a really interesting idea I've never come across before about print magazines as the medium that tells the story of what's happening right now. I will definitely be using that in a talk at some point in the future. But for now, I just thought it was such an interesting way of seeing the magazine making process. It was really great to chat away from the awards madness and I'm also really grateful to him for making the effort to come over for the awards. He literally flew in from California on the afternoon of the ceremony and he was leaving the morning after we spoke and I just think that willingness to take part in what we were doing means a huge amount. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Bobby Johnson from Anxi. Hey, Bobby, welcome to Somerset House, which is very definitely not in California. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's raining. I, you might be able to hear the little trickle of water on the rooftop. Yeah, there, yeah so. we've got the sound effects uh, going today. Um, so you won um, Art Director of the Year and Best Use of Illustration last night. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That was, uh, that was great. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, Stack was very kind to us last year when we won Launch and Subscriber's Choice. Um, so when I rocked up this year, I was like, uh, maybe we spent all of our, you know, all, <laughs> all, of, our, all of our credits there. But um, yeah, it was really exciting. And, you know, we're, we're a very kind of art driven magazine. So it was good for the team to, to be recognized. We loved it. Have you managed to speak to any of those guys yet? I was giving them, they were watching the Instagram live and I was giving them uh, live updates um, category by category just so that they could definitely see it except yeah. obviously when we won something yeah i didn't have time to message it so i could tell that i told them all of the other categories and then when i went quiet they were like what does that mean <laughs> that means we won um but yeah they, they, they were on tenterhooks very excited uh, well, as you say, you um, had a very good year last year, so one two, and a very good year this year, one two. I think that that just goes to show, like, what a good job you guys are doing with Anxi. It strikes me that there are a lot of magazines around, or maybe not magazines, but certainly in independent publishing, mental health is uh, a very popular thing to be talking about at the moment. How do you guys go about making yourselves different to everything else that's being done and said? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because it has, I feel like it has changed in the last two years since we since we started. Um, you know, we started the magazine, uh, you know, Indy Rojas came to me, you know, we, we'd worked together and she, she said, I've got this idea for a magazine. I know I want it to be about mental health and I know I want it to be called Anxi. And she's the designer, so she also had an idea of what she wanted it to look like. And we sort of started digging in and looking at what was missing out there. Now it feels like maybe the conversation's changed a bit, you know, and, and 
So, you know, a lot more people are talking a lot more about mental health. I think especially in indie publishing, a lot of people have seen the same gap, right? Is we don't feel like we're having honest conversations in mainstream media, um, but there's something, there's a need for something that's a bit more thoughtful and curated than just, you know, the blogosphere or Twitter or whatever. Um, so, yeah, we've been watching it. I think really though we've tried not to look around at the rest of the market too much in in mental health at least and try and forge our own path and sort of stick to what we know rather than be too reactive to what else is going on um although i you know i appreciate all the the work that other people are doing to sort of prize open the same conversation so i think for us it's really about you know how each issue we try and push ourselves harder farther try and get deeper into conversations Try and work out, you know, eventually I think angsty can be a space where you're... Uh, we try and push people pretty hard and show them perspectives they don't already see so that they can recognise stuff that might be going on in their own lives. But I think we can take that a lot further. And so each issue we're trying to do that and try and bring in new perspectives. And so that's that's the way we keep doing it is, is dig deeper. And I must. I guess it must help that you guys have a pretty great contact book. The, like when you look at some of the writers and illustrators, people who you have contributing. Like I mean, they're they're really fantastic people. They're, are these people who you just personally know, or you, you're reaching out to the magazine? Um, I mean, we're we're both lucky enough and uh, have worked hard enough to have that contact book, right? So. Um, you know, I think on the on the art side, um, you know, Indy and Michelle Lee, who's our director of photography, they work really hard to keep in touch with illustrators, photographers, um, and to sort of build up um, build up a great network there. Um, and for me and the rest of the edit team, you know, most of us have been doing it for quite a while in various forms and. Um, spend a lot of time talking to writers, trying to trying to find. You know, I think with mental health, one of the things is it's it's like one of those um, kind of layers that can cut across anyone. You know, so it doesn't matter what what your specialism is. You know, you might be a reporter, or you might be a memoirist, or you might be, you know, uh, an opinion writer, or you might be a blogger, or whatever. But mental health is one of those subjects that many people from whatever discipline can find a, a place in there whether it's their own or or someone they love um and so it's you know it's talking to people and then you sort of have an aha moment with them where you're like oh hang on there's something deeper here there's something like that you connect with that you haven't shared somewhere else because you know they might contribute to other magazines or newspapers or websites very rarely they're asked to sort of tell incredibly personal stories or sort of go to places where you know other editors don't need them to go they need them to do the work that that magazine needs to do so you know we we sort of have the benefit of creating that space for people and um and that's another thing we're trying over time is to try and do more of like i want people to eventually to say man i have this insight that i want to share Anxiety's the place I want to do it. Um, eventually, you know, I think we get there a little bit each time, but, you know, who knows in a few more years, you know, hopefully it becomes the de facto place where, you know, I'm, I'm getting pitched. Well, I mean, we get, a lot of, we get a lot of pitches. You know, we also open our submissions um, each issue and probably about a third of the stories come from, from that. Um, 
you know people we don't know and that also is a is a great source of of new voices and new talent um but yeah i mean we work hard we're you know i've I've been an editor for a long time a bunch of people on the team have and i think that's the job is to 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 know those people and to find those voices so so going back to when this all first started for you so Indy came to you and said right i've got this idea for this magazine what was it about that proposal that made you say, yep, I'm going to give up a massive chunk of my time and like, make this thing happen? So, yeah, I mean, it just made sense. Mm. If, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to describe. You know, I knew I liked working with her. We'd, you know, we worked on, uh, at Medium, uh, we'd worked together on a bunch of stuff. And, um, you know, I think what I'm really interested in you know, apart from my, you know, I don't have like a massive personal mental health journey, but I, you know, I have burnt out a bunch of times and I have dealt with a lot of um, just the, the sort of small everyday mental health struggles that we all have. Like, am I freaking out about stuff or under stress? Um, and, you know, in my family, there's been, you know, lots of lots of things have gone on over the years that sort of fed into it. So I was sympathetic to the the concept you know I was like oh I'd, I'd like to read this magazine um, and you know we talked about it probably for a year or two before we started actually moving on it um, because it kind of it slowly built over time like what could it look like what could it feel like what kind of stories do you want to tell what isn't out there already um, but you know really I think it started to coalesce when when all of the when we understood all of those things and like why is this necessary um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, then the team sort of started assembling and we, we gathered a bunch of people with different perspectives on stuff and, and sort of pulled it together and, and it became, you know, an exciting concept. Then we went to Kickstarter to test whether that was just in our own heads, you know, um, and, and it turned out people did like it. And so that, you know, I think that, that process of, of sort of validating the idea was really important. Um, but you know, I, I think ultimately the the thing that the thing that sort of made it click was just this is the right time. You know, I one thing I often think about magazines is, you know, I came up through the newspaper tradition, and people often think newspapers are about now. I think newspapers about like what just happened. Magazines have the ability to be much more the story of now. Mm. You know, they they sort of they cast their minds forward, but not too far forward. You know, it's kind of like, what's going on? We have to be relevant. You know, we're working on a lead time of a month or three months. We have to be relevant when we hit the street. Mm -hmm. And so you're thinking about like, what is the zeitgeist? What, what do people care about? What are the stories that are going to matter in three months that, that uh, we're working on today? And so I think, you know, magazines actually tell the story of what's going on right now. Um, and you know, you look around, and mental health is one of the very apart, probably apart from climate change. I feel like mental health is the story of now, or you know, anxiety is the story of now. Stress and looking around you and wondering why the fuck is the world so like just everything weird is <laughs> is going on, um, and it's making me feel strange. Like that's the story of everybody right now, and that's only become more so <laughs> since you know when we started. It was before. Uh, you know, we started thinking about it at kind of the time that Brexit, ha the Brexit vote happened. 
then you know Trump got elected and it's only that's only exacerbated the general feeling of like the world is on fire and and that's reflecting on people's internal dialogues their own lives everything and I guess the way that you frame these subjects as well so you you know you, you pick a theme like anger or workaholism or boundaries and so you're I guess you're not talking about all mental health you're taking this very uh, directed approach to it yeah because it's huge right it's there's you could I mean we could sit here all day and talk about just a handful of aspects of it um you know and so the way we look at it is is there a way we can talk about what's going on that isn't prescriptive you know we're not we're not there talking about like the ways to deal with things necessarily although sometimes we touch on it um we we sort of we sort of see it more as the kind of sharing the sort of there's an idea in in therapy of narrative therapy is like telling a story helps you to to process or helps you um understand others um so we sort of look at it from that perspective you know what what stories can we tell if we pick a subject what are the angles we want to look at you know i, I sort of think of it um like a rubik's cube you know it's all these little bits and it's all these facets and faces and you can you can look at it and see very uh, a different configuration but you sort of want to look at it from all the angles and then sort of start putting it together and and that you know that constraint is really helpful to say this is a theme you know we argue about which themes we should do um and then we we sort of come up with a basic set of ideas that we think a, a theme could produce and then we start going in sort of casting around and digging about in it but the but yeah the theme I think means that we're not just saying tell us about your worst experiences or tell us about the hard times you've had we we're sort of asking it to to bounce off something first Mm -hmm. which uh which is a really useful filter but also makes the end product more coherent I Mm -hmm. think you know because we could just have a magazine of you know real stories of people's struggles it would be inevitably, I mean, we're a pretty dark magazine, I think, most of the time. It would be the darkest, you know, and, um, and relentless and make you feel much worse than you do right now, probably. Um, so, yeah, we, the theme is, is a way to direct the river of, of sort of traffic that way. And it feels also like another important part of the magazine is Kickstarter. Because, so you guys do what I always tell people not to do. In the, you went to Kickstarter for the first one and made it and then you went to Kickstarter for the second and then for the third so like I mean how do you do that <laughs> it must be so stressful and and difficult yeah I, I think you know we did it the first time to see whether the idea made sense you know whether other people believed it and then when the second issue came around we we sort of thought oh we can't possibly do that again you know that seems we're just going around, you know, with our cap in our hand, sort of begging again. Um, but when it came down to it, we we talked to a bunch of people and and sort of took the risk on the second one. We were pretty worried that it, I think our target was, I mean, our target was much lower. Um, our raise was much lower than the first time for sure. Um, but we, we sort of said, you know, let's set it, let's set the bar a bit lower and just see if we can make it. And, you know, people responded. I wouldn't necessarily suggest that other people <laughs> do the same thing because I do think it comes with a lot of risk. But now we're on our fourth one. Mm. We just closed it. You know, I think we raised $28,000 this time, wow. um, which is turning into pretty much the, the standard, mm. um, you know, 
we've raised we've raised that amount roughly mm. um, or more in each in each campaign. And um, so I, I, I had a look back earlier. So the, so you started with fifty eight thousand for the first yeah. one, twenty three thousand for the second. So there must have been a bit of a feeling of like. Okay, crikey, maybe we've yeah. done it. But then the third, you managed to get back up to 29. And yeah. you said it's fourth one, 28. Yeah. So, yeah, that feels like a sort of fighting weight. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously we'd like it to, it'd be great if we raise loads of money. But I think what it shows, what, what we understand as well is there are a lot of people who essentially use it as their subscription, mm. right? Mm. They wait for a campaign to come around and then they contribute and mm. they they spend their money with us and, and they they commit to us and and that's really good and it's a way of reaching that community of people i think you know ultimately with any kind of you know printed product or subscription product what you want is those those people to be you know just your sub- normal subscriber base i think what we're now you know we have a we have a whole bunch of other subscribers who don't subscribe through kickstarter and pick us up and we have people who buy us in shops uh, and so Kickstarter is now, I, I think we we got to look at it and say like, is it an anomalous section of people or is it a different set of people each time that just mm. happens to come out roughly the same? Um, I don't know from this last campaign, I haven't looked at the information enough mm-hmm. to know exactly what the answer is. I think ideally we'd, we'd, you know, we love using Kickstarter. It does take a lot of effort and resources at the same time that we're producing an issue. We're also producing a campaign, um, which is kind of, uh, a rod for our own backs for sure but the um but i think you know it's it's just been a great tool for us um we've we've looked at other places and people keep saying you know oh maybe you should try this maybe you should try that um but kickstart has worked for us every time and so until it stops working it seems like <laughs> sensible to uh to keep going yeah. you know people other people don't seem to have the same trepidation to contribute that we have asking them right. to do so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and it feels very un-English, right? To keep going on and asking for it. Uh, maybe that's the benefit of having a bunch of Americans on the team and, <laughs> and I'm the only I'm the only uh, English person there. So, so okay, so let's talk about that. So, you know, people can tell from your accent, you're, you're not from California, you're mm-hmm. over there at the moment. So you actually, if I understand this correctly, you ended up over there because of another Kickstarter project that you ran. Mm. So back in 2012, you raised $140,000 for something called Matter. So maybe tell us a little bit about that and where it came from. Yeah, so um, so Matter, uh, you know, I'm really lucky to have made things that I'm very proud of. You know, and Matter, I think, was life-changing in a whole number of ways. Um, I'd already lived in San Francisco for a few years uh, when I was a reporter for The Guardian. Um, Then I moved back to the UK and um, was living in Brighton, loved it, Uh, but I was like, what what do I do? And a friend of of mine, Jim Giles, and I concocted this, what we thought was a really dumb, (laughs) a dumb idea, which was, hey, wouldn't, if you, if you ripped the, um, the features well out of a great magazine and just did that could it be a thing you know would people want that um you know we all read many magazines i hope everyone who listens to this podcast has that we all have that we all have that pile of magazines that we're trying to get through um but just like we saw um you know itunes kind of disentangled songs from albums 
you know, and you could just buy each song individually. Um, we sort of saw features as something you could pull out of a magazine and, and try and run with. Um, so that seemed like a, an interesting idea. It was at the same time, like the Atavist had, was launching and um, uh, a, a few different people were kind of tackling the same idea. Kindle Singles had, was just coming onto the scene and we were like, oh, this is a great opportunity. So, so we, and we also, we were both writers and editors who loved working with other writers and editors. But what we didn't know was whether we were good enough to produce the kind of work that we love to read all the time. Um, so we, yeah, so we went to Kickstarter as a test, you know, Craig Mod, um, who hopefully people know his work, he's a great writer and thinker on, on print especially, but um, he said to me one day, you know, why don't you use Kickstarter as a test, like a smoke test? If, if people like it, then you'll know and you'll have money to get the idea off the ground. Um, and you know we took the gamble and it i mean we hit our target we we set an ambitious target for matter which we which was a, would have effectively made us the biggest publishing project that you know kickstarter ever had it was fifty thousand dollars at the time um seems a long time ago now but the we broke that in less than 48 hours and then it went on and you know raised more money which we then set up the company started publishing doing doing some good work and then you know then we were lucky enough we were going out to look for, to turn this into a real business and sort of look for some more runway. Um, turns out once you're producing like high level work and building a subscription website and doing all the, the, the stuff behind the scenes that, you know, the money only goes so far. Um, so we were going out looking for investment and um, one of the investors we spoke to was Ev Williams at, at Medium. You know, he'd founded Twitter and gone off to start Medium. It was very early days, I'm not even sure it was publicly usable at that point and he came up with a suggestion that we laughed at originally which was you know I can't invest in you but I could buy you you know or, or you could be part of the team and it was one of those uh, kind of Silicon Valley aqua hires where we didn't really what well, you know it wasn't a particularly <laughs> valuable deal but it um, uh, it gave you know the one sort of real thing that we fought for was will matter still exist um you know we don't just want to we want to keep doing this particular thing and he was all all behind it and you know over the years put a lot of resources you know we built up the team we did some amazing work you know got did some really successful stuff uh, i think stuff now that you look around the internet and you see you know i certainly see the fingerprints of work we did you know the team there, Eric Nagler, who's now at Google, he runs Google Doodles now, but he was our art director and he was amazing. You know, he sort of pushed us in lots of directions that we wouldn't have thought about going uh, visually. And then storytelling wise, you know, uh, Mark Lotto joined, he, he came from GQ and was a great editor. Mike Benoit, who's now an editor at the New York Times Magazine. You know, um, we just had this sequence of great people coming through the team. Um, Alana Levinson, who's contributed to Anxi and is now uh, running Mel Magazine, uh, the online men's magazine. Um, you know, this group of people all came through Matter, and it was it was really amazing and satisfying. Um, all good things come to an end, uh, and we actually, you know, it sort of it sort of came to an end through a mixture of business demands and its own. You know, we just 
did too much in too short a time and all kind of flaked out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, so that's the burnout you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was one of the big moments, right? It was, you know, after years working, you know, trying to produce. I mean, we were effectively, I don't want to like oversell it, but we certainly felt like, oh, no, and I think we, we got recognized for doing, you know, New Yorker level work with a team of seven people, you know, producing features week after week, you know, and, um, you know, people reporting from Syria and Nigeria and, you know, all over the US and all over Europe um, on amazing stories. Uh, it turns out, like, the human mind has limits uh, <laughs> and we just all, uh, in various ways, kind of hit hit a wall. And that, you know, that was during the time that I first worked with Indy and we sort of recognized that, you know, we were like, oh, it turns out we did a workaholism issue partly because of that, right? You know, because we all recognized what was going on. But, you know, that you sort of, the crucible of hard work is where you sort of forge your identity and stuff. And so it was, uh, yeah, I mean, that was really important. And, and it proved, you know, then when we did Anxi, you know, we looked at Kickstarter, I was very nervous about going back to Kickstarter because I felt like it had been such a, you know, I mean, Matter remains, I think, it probably in the top 10 publishing or journalism uh, uh, campaigns in Kickstarter history. And, you know, and I still feel like we didn't do what we meant to do uh, there. And so, you know, I was very nervous about going back with Anxi but we did and it worked, um, you know, and so, and, and the people at Kickstarter are always a great help. You know, they, if you, if you're doing good work and you drop them a line, they'll take notice and they'll take care. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think we had any specific, we didn't, we certainly didn't have like a real plan for what happened if Anxi didn't raise money on Kickstarter. I, I think we would have just said, oh, this is a good idea with no, no readers. Yeah. That, that's, it's not something we should spend time on. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, those, those tools are there. That's, the internet's great for that, right? You can find a, a community and a readership before you've even done anything. <laughs> you know, amazing. Mm. That, that couldn't have happened 20 mm. years or mm. 20 or 30 years ago. You would have not been able to do any of that. Well, right? 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, you, you, it's funny now you're talking about 2012. You took about something six years ago. That seems like at such a distant remove. The you know the, the the de facto way that people start independent magazines now is Kickstarter because the you know you can get that together, you get the money, and you get that support. You're at a stage now where you know kind of you're looking around. You you've done these various interesting projects. You've got Anxi. That's a thing that's kind of like going along. Is this the way that you want to like sort of? carry on now right through to the end or do you, could you see yourself saying like right I'm going to go and take a corporate job and the, you know that that's me or could you see yourself saying like I'm going to disappear into freelance and the, you know yeah. work from home forever it's interesting you say that because I'm just starting a new role half-time role <laughs> with um, technology review out of MIT um, in Boston and um, so I'm, I'm gonna be a, a senior editor over there working mainly on their print magazine, um, doing features um, and other stuff too. You know, that's going to take up some of my time. Um, it might not be obvious from um, from Anxi, 
but you know my background is really in technology and science reporting um, and matter was kind of in that tradition and then expanded to be a more generalist um, kind of outlet um, but you know I, I still think a lot and obsess a lot about you know I talked about the story of now I think kind of technology is is a is a factor in all of these things right you know the how we tackle the problems of now with the technologies available to us and how technologies create those problems is kind of a, a circular thing that I'm just fascinated by um, so you know I mean that's a corporate job right um, I still freelance on the side. I still do, you know, I, I work independently. Um, I'm, you know, most of the team is built of freelancers who, who, you know, some of us have jobs at corporate companies in the day. Some of us don't. Um, but I think, you know, part of that is sustainability. You know, Anxi is a wonderful thing that, you know, we want to build up. But we still need to make sure that we pay the rent every month and, you know, feed the kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, and on the other hand, like, I, I don't really see, you know, I, I came from commercial publishing in news and then, you know, have it really enjoyed independent publishing too. I don't see that they're worlds that are in opposition to each other um, you know, I mean, it often feels like it, right? When you're an indie <laughs> publisher, you hate everybody. You know, you're you're fighting the good fight, you know. But I think I'd much rather see, um, and and you know, sometimes people come in and they cannibalise, right? You see a magazine, a, a big mainstream magazine that just could eat up you up in a second if it wanted to, um, and then they fuck it up anyway because you know they their interests lie elsewhere. But I think the um, I don't I don't see them as you know antithetical to each other you know I think really you just you got to look at it and say do we want to transmit ideas into the world that don't exist right now or help people understand things they don't know right now you know I'll take whatever route I can through that um you know and and the influence you can have at a big outlet you know it, it might not necessarily always be as satisfying as like nose to tail producing your own thing but you can have a really great influence if you're a, a big outlet. So, you know, I think there's there's trade-offs in there. Um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't stop. I'm not going to stop doing independent publishing. Um, and I, you know, I'm addicted to it. Uh, and it's fun. You know, I started out actually as a blogger before I was a journalist. So for me, that like needing to say something, I was a terrible blogger. But uh, uh, and I'm not a great reporter. But um, you know, I, I think there's something in, you know, being able, you know, it used to be that, you know, you wrote on a blog, you could get heard if you found an audience. Now you can, you can make a whole, you know, your audience can consume, you know, you can make print stuff and give it to them and they'll love it. And, you know, that's, that's so exciting. Um, I don't understand why anyone would stop doing that. But, you know, we do have to trade off what we need, you know, against uh, and, and how we can reach people. Well, I, for one, I'm very pleased that you have this addiction and I'm looking forward to enjoying the fruits of this addiction more uh, in the, the coming years. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the masculinity issue, which we're just finalising now, is really exciting, you know, and, um, you know, we've got some uh, stories that take us places we've never been and we've got 
you know, we've got a couple of big interviews. I, I think we broke, something happened between the last issue and this one because we broke through a barrier. You know, I often, I'm, I'm the one in charge of sort of securing the, the big interview that we run each issue. You know, issue one was Margaret Atwood. Woohoo, that was great. Um, issue two was Neil, Neil Brennan. Um, uh, but issue four, I phoned around people and everybody said yes. <laughs> you know, I'm used to everybody, like 20, 20 people, you know, one person says maybe. Um, and I phoned Terry Cruz's people and they were like, yeah, he's in. I phoned Karamo Brown from Queer Eye, you know, his people. And they said, this sounds great. We'll do it. And I don't know whether it's, you know, the evidence of several issues behind us or whether masculinity is just a topic. I hope it's a topic that everyone cares about right now. But that, that sort of sequence of stuff, suddenly, you know, I was like, I'm going to have to stop phoning people up because we haven't got room. You know, I don't want it to become a celebrity magazine, right? <laughs> um, but it, it, that to me is really exciting. And I think everyone who listens should take heart in like, the hard work over time. Things, not everything gets easier, but certain things start to happen because you're, you know, if you're doing provably good work, and you are reaching out and finding an audience, then the sort of success builds success. And you can, you know, you may not become, you know, a media mogul as a result, but you can start to really stretch to where your imagination wants to go. And I think that's the most exciting thing about any of these projects. The only limit is kind of where you want to take it. So Nice. And tomorrow you're taking yourself back to California. Yep, <laughs> uh, 10 hours on the plane, um, yeah, just in time for Thanksgiving. Exactly, well look, I really appreciate you coming over, so thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Bobby for making the effort to fly over and join us at the awards ceremony. And for that matter, thanks to all the editors, art directors and publishers who entered the awards and joined us on the night. I am recording this on the 30th of November, which means we are now well into our festive period. So I'm afraid I can't finish up without plugging our Christmas offer, but it's genuinely brilliant. So Go to stackmagazines.com forward slash Christmas and you can choose a free magazine from our selection when you give Stack as a gift. Uh, We've got magazines like Foreign Sons, which normally costs $22.50. We've got Cajet, which normally costs like 20 euros. MacGuffin, which is 16 euros. But you get the magazine for free with any of our subscriptions. And given that you can sign up for three months for 20 pounds or 40 euros or 40 dollars, That is an amazing deal. So basically, if you're in the UK, you could spend £20, get a magazine that costs almost £20, get that sent straight away, and then receive three more magazines starting from January effectively for free. Uh, That is a bargain. Okay, enough of the hard sell. Thank you very much for listening to this one, and we'll be back with another episode next week.